Fresh out of the oven, it's Cinema Bums. I'm Emmett. And I'm Wade. Cinema Bums is a podcast where we watch through every single movie in popular film franchises, one each week to try and track how the storytelling changes over time. Today, we are returning to our miniseries, What is All This Scream Time Doing to Our Children?, covering every film in the Scream series. We will fully spoil today's film, but we will not spoil any future entries in the series because there are currently none. Today, we are doing a timely thing, which is so rare for us and so wonderful to get for us to get to do. Uh, Wade, how are you doing today? I'm doing good, other than having to hear the pod name, miniseries name again, <laughs> which I had hoped to never do. But I'm good. I feel very rejuvenated. This is the first episode we're recording in 2022. Happy New Year. Yeah. And I feel rejuvenated by that and by this movie. So I'm excited to talk about it. And how are you? I am doing well. Also, Happy New Year to you and to all Mm -hmm. our listeners. And today I'm doing especially well because we're honored to have a special guest returning to the pod. Please welcome Jonathan Thor Reigns. I'll be right back. (laughs) (laughs) That's a scream joke, guys. Ah! Ah! Was that your scream joke, Emmett? Yeah, that was my scream joke. This is beautiful. Did y'all think there was enough screaming? In this scream, not nearly enough. I'm just kidding. not nearly enough scream. No, two stars, two stars, <laughs> uh, two two out of five on the screams. Uh, well, how's it going, Thor? <laughs> Welcome back. Thanks for being back. <laughs> We're a little out of practice. How's I, it going? I'm doing great. I was telling Wade earlier that I'm snowed in today, and I was planning on going to see the movie for a fifth time today. Holy hell! But I can't, so it sucks, right? So here we are. But we get to talk about it, so that's exciting. Yeah. Almost as good. Almost, Almost as good. Yeah. Truly, it has only snowed here in New York once, and it didn't stick. Ever? In the history of New York? That's correct. Wow. That is <laughs> And correct. you were there to see it? Right? <laughs> yeah, I was. Incredible. What a king. <laughs> Well, Le- most legendary. people don't know this, but uh, New York City was actually founded October 16th, 2021, when I moved here. So I can only speak to it, to its full history. We are truly living in a simulation. <laughs> this is the Matrix. Speaking of other 90s properties that got uh, rejuvenated this year. Yeah, other legacy sequels, other requels, as this movie would have us believe. Yeah, it's a reboot quill or something. They could have just called it like a sea boot or something, you know, a sea quote. I wonder if they went through a bunch of terms before they settled on the obvious better one, requel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think uh, it would have had to be rated X if they called it a sea quote. So make them do that. That's fair. <laughs> uh, how about we start with flopper bop general impressions? Yeah, straight out the gate. And then we can do the stats and sort of work through the movie. You can lead us through the movie and we'll talk about it like that. Okay. How does that sound? Sounds good. It's a bop. (laughs) (laughs) Wade, flop or bop? A bop. Emmett, flop or bop? I would say it's a bop. Guys, reasons why (laughs) it's a bop for you. I have or? a whole I have a whole list of reason, uh, yeah, reasons reasons why. Off, but what were your immediate reactions to this movie? What do you think? A new screen. One, 
it's super exciting to have grown up with all of them. Um, so like this one to be like 25 years after the first one is really cool. Cause I've like kind of grew up with all these characters and like the surviving characters obviously were kind of like my babysitters when I was growing up. Cause I watched all these movies all the time. So it was cool just to see them on screen again, but I also liked all of the new characters too. I thought that they were, well, most of the newer ones were really compelling. And I thought like the commentary on horror movies in general was really interesting they're always very interesting, but I thought this one was, especially all the references to like toxic fans. I thought that was funny. And mm-hmm. the connections to like Ryan Johnson and Star Wars and all that was really interesting. And also the acting was really great in this. Mm. Not that they weren't in the other ones, but like the returning characters were really cool. There's a lot of emotional stuff. It was a lot of stuff at stake. And I'm interested to see where it continues to go if they choose to continue with it. It's a bop. Wade, what were your thoughts on it? I was really kind of like blown away by it. I expected it. I would say I expected it to be good. Maybe didn't have massively high expectations, but I've liked all of these movies. And I really liked Ready or Not, the last movie by these directors. And yeah, I mean, when this movie started with the character of Tara saying things that I have said on this podcast... About loving it follows and not liking schlocky jump scare horror. I immediately felt called out. <laughs> and yeah, and then we go from that to like a SZA DJ Khaled song. I just thought it was like so good the whole way through. I was not expecting it to be a movie about the Star Wars sequels, but that made me love it even more. <laughs> In like a truly bizarre turn <laughs> for this series. And yeah, I do agree with Thor that I think a lot of the acting is really good. I think the directing is good. I think it was is much more Scream 5 than I expected. Mm-hmm. I thought it might be a little bit more like like the Halloween or the Candyman or the things that's parodying in some ways, like more of a reboot. But I think it really is like much more connected, especially to the sequels, than I was expecting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think it's perfect... I have some criticisms, mostly just that I feel like it's maybe doing a lot and some elements suffer a little bit because of that. Emmett, what was your reaction to a new Scream? I got in the movie theater and I was like, "Uh uh-oh, this is a movie that's actually going to scare me. Um, (laughs) And then I was like, this is really exciting because I've been watching all those like dumb, I'd been, uh, Thor, I did a whole watch through of the, all the Friday the 13th and yes. all of the Nightmare on Elm Street movies. Nice. And those were a lot of fun, but not often very frightening. Coming back and watching this after all of that was like like a shock. His visit to Manhattan didn't scare you? No. I loved I loved it. <laughs> I but loved it was that. not frightening. <laughs> it's so good. I love that movie. It's so stupid. <laughs> it's so dumb. I was on the edge of my seat, and because I knew, like, the thing about Scream movies is that you know they do not care. They will kill people that you love. I mean, like, killing off Randy in the second one. Cotton in part three. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So I think it's just, like, it's a hallmark of the series that, like, people that you think are safe could die. And pretty much anyone who you have any doubt about will die. The part where Jessica Chastain saved the world was really compelling. (laughs) I could always tell in Bryce Dallas Howard's eyes when she's really feeling it. 
This was my biggest fear about the movie. Not that you would go see the wrong movie on it. But that they put it out in January, which normally is like a dumping ground mm-hmm. for movies. Like like the 355. Yeah, how bad <laughs> January is, is that the only other movie that has come out this year was the Simon Kinberg follow-up to Dark Phoenix. And this is following that up. And I was like, okay, okay, Scream. I will go in the winter trek to the theater and hope there's something good in this month. And there was. I think this movie is wonderful because it is like, like you said, Wade, so much in conversation with like the Star Wars sequels, but is also like the killers are pretty much the exact same setup as from the original movie. Like weird possessive boyfriend and like the kind of weird kid of the group even in the um dynamic of like how it's set up it's the exact it's like very similar and it like gives you the hints early on that that's what's going on and then spins the rest of the plot trying to mislead you into doing other things and i thought it was really clever when they're like these movies are whodunits and i was like oh yeah they are all whodunits like that's what sometimes when if like the killer's revealed too early or like kind of what gets boring about ultimately both Friday the 13th and Nightmare on Elm Street is you know who the killer is and you know exactly what their motives are right Mm. off the bat. And so you pretty much know these kids are all going to die. But in Scream, there's like more reasoning to what's going on. Like it always makes sense um, in the end why people were doing what they were doing. Even if it's for like kind of crazy reasons, it does have like a plot logic to it. Yeah, I think that it makes them really satisfying. And this one especially because I think their reason is very satisfying. Mm-hmm. Something we didn't talk a lot about in the initial series that I think also makes them really satisfying is that they're all self-contained. Mm-hmm. Like mm. none of these, including this one, even including like none of them end with set up for a sequel. They all just end with like the mystery has been solved. Everything is good now. Yeah. And then you'll pick back up whenever there is another mystery to solve. But I feel like that makes them feel more complete than mm-hmm. other long-running series. For sure. And I think that it speaks to the, the writers and the one-out well directors. They're not necessarily reaching for a sequel. They just want to tell like the story that they want to tell at that time and not try to set it up all the time for a sequel, which I think is admirable because... You know, most people are going to want a sequel because it makes money and like exposure and all that sort of thing. But they just are interested in telling the story they want to tell and really how it connects to movies at the time that the movie is made, which I think is is really cool. Like if you track like the arcs of all the other ones, like like especially Scream 4. I watched that last night before I went and saw the fifth one again. It's such a product of 2011. And like the actors that are in it and the movies and stuff they talk about. And that's what they wanted to do. They just wanted to tell that's what the point is. And I thought that was cool. And it, again, like Emmett was saying it ended and there didn't need to be another one if they didn't want there to be. And it was still a satisfying conclusion. Yeah. And I think this one is helped a lot by scream four too, because that has already done. That's already covered some of the stuff you think you might see in like a legacy mm-hmm. mm-hmm. scream. Like that one is very much about going back to Woodsboro about the anniversary of the original that one is like putting modern technology and social media and everything into the scream world for the first time. And so I think with some of that stuff out of the way, it paved the way for like a less obvious sequel Mm -hmm. in Mm -hmm. this one. I think the fourth one was maybe like a tad ahead of its time. Oh yeah. 
as far as the the reasoning behind Jill and Charlie wanting to become famous on social media and stuff like that, that wasn't as much of a thing in 2011 as it is now, or even like a few years after that movie came out. Even though like recording with the webcam and everything, all the murders really, like you said, flowed into this one because they're wanting to provide source material for a new movie. Whereas in like the fourth one, they were making their own movie. So they kind of go hand in hand and it really, yeah, kind of sets the stage for motive for the fifth one. Yeah. And I feel like that one also maybe more tried to like have an analog to each of the characters from the original, Mm -hmm. like new Sydney, new Dewey. And then this one you have like different characters in a different Mm -hmm. way. Yeah. Two things that I think are interesting about this series as a whole is like Mm -hmm. the evolution of technology as a major element of these movies because like it's a cell phone and like a weird little voice changer that they're using in the first one as like it gets more advanced as it goes throughout so there's the point in the third one where they've got the wacky voice changer that can be anybody's voice wearing bulletproof armor and stuff like that for the fourth one for that to be like streaming and social media in this one we get it briefly with like the house like the safe locks on the house and like the location tracking on the phones and stuff. And I think that's all like, like every time the phone rings in one of these movies, you know, something bad is about to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like when it starts with the phone ringing, that's like an immediate tell to the entire audience that like something bad is coming. And I think that's a really interesting thing. And the other thing that I think is really interesting is that this movie they talk about it in this movie too. They say that there is no Michael Myers of the stab series. It's always a different killer, but because it's always the same mask in like some larger way, it always is the same killer. So it's like a cool, they get to have it kind of both ways where mm-hmm. it is always ghost face and the voice it's and, the, the and voice. always the same voice, but it could be anyone, which is a really cool way to have it both with the iconic villain that you get from Halloween, Friday the 13th, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, but also to have like the kind of more unnerving part of the slasher, which is that it could, that it could be anyone. Mm-hmm. I felt like Ghostface was like sinister in this one. Yeah. In a way that sure. maybe in none of the others he has been like, they really make him like scary and like mm-hmm. build up sort of the aura around him. And they took away a lot of the, like how bumbling sometimes he would be, like he tripped a lot or would mm-hmm. like fall over things. And that, I don't think, hap- of his own accord did not happen in this one. I mean, he'd get like pushed or something like that, but he never was just like falling. Like in the second one, he just randomly falls over like a recliner while he's chasing Sydney and that sort of thing. It really added to the idea that no one can really get away from him. No one's safe in that regard because, you know, a lot of people fought back and they did not win. <laughs> Mm-hmm. This one's probably the most, I wouldn't necessarily say the bloodiest, because I always think back to that scene in part four with the the yeah. friend across the street. They see her get killed. But this one was definitely like the most like savage. Mm-hmm. Like there was just so yeah. much like messy stabbing. Like it was like he was just yeah. like ang- angry the entire movie and was just like stabbing mm-hmm. people like seven, eight times in a row really fast. And I was like, this is just, it was a lot. Even the way the ghost faces get killed in the end, I think, is more brutal. Yeah. Like, all, like, four kills are way was, more brutal. It than was insane. Is that the same girl from 
from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood who gets the brutal death in that. Yes. Yes, where she also gets set on fire. Damn. That was one of the most satisfying things I think I've ever seen in a movie. And this this one. (laughs) The whole thing when Sydney was like, you want to do the honors? Or, no, 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 Gail said you want to do the honors. And Sydney was like, Mm. all yours. So she was like, incredible. And then she caught on fire. That's so cool. I love it. I've been thinking a lot about, like, over winter break, a lot about how we are maybe at a point in these, like, big blockbuster movies, which I would consider this one of, where we have, like, recognized and are maybe a little tired of a lot of the tropes over the last 10 years like not just the legacy sequel but like the thing this movie talks about like the things the legacy sequels do like how they bring back the characters or like certain plays that are in all of these and i feel like this was like advanced by the pandemic of basically like not having new movies for a year and a half that we have like recognized a lot of these, but are not at a place yet where we have sort of found something new to replace them. Like it doesn't feel like there's been a lot of fresh movies giving us something different. Mm-hmm. And I felt like this movie really like found ways to include those like get hype, really exciting big moments mm. while not sort of pandering in the same way or or just giving us the thing that was like really fresh in 2015 mm-hmm. and now feels like we've gotten in every movie since you mm-hmm. know i thought that was cool it didn't rely on all of that and like how you were saying it was a self-contained story a casual movie girl who never seen the other ones could go and enjoy it maybe not have as much of a connection especially to like the legacy characters as much but there was so much other things that were included in it that would make someone who's a big fan of the franchise like that leonardo dicaprio meme where he's like oh i recognize that or whatever mm-hmm that was like a really fun thing for me to see all of that, but it didn't feel like it was um, talking down to anyone or relying solely on nostalgia, which I feel like a lot of reboot kind of yeah. properties do. It like had like one foot in that, and then that one foot was like, let's pull it forward in a different direction. And I thought they did a really great job of balancing those two things. Yeah, and I felt like it even kicked into high gear mm-hmm. once it goes like, full legacy in the third act yes which a lot of these like ghostbusters last year was when i was really looking forward to and that is like its own movie and then it like becomes the original ghostbusters in the third act and kind of falls apart yeah but this one i felt like got a lot stronger even from like the good place it already was in Mm -hmm. when they just really go for it at the end Mm -hmm. part of what that is is they don't try to go bigger in the house at the end Mm. like there's a huge party and they're like no we're getting the party out of here it's not going to be more kills it's just going to be more danger for the people you care about mm-hmm. and it's just like ups the stakes they're alone in the house uh i think it's very skyfall hmm. i think it's like a really interesting like all right we're gonna like close it in and make this last act personal as, as I was walking into the theaters, there was a poster here that said the killer is on this poster and it just like had all the principal characters on it. And I was like, damn right. It is. It's like, <laughs> of course, like, obviously, like, you know, that, you know, it's not going to be like some random, yeah. you know, it's going to, it's, uh, it's always someone, you know, and yeah. See, I thought that that just cause ghost face is on the poster, like the mask. Uh-huh. And I was like, oh, yeah. Yeah. The killer is on the poster. The and so <laughs> I thought it was a misdirection and it was going to be a character that we know, but is not 
in the movie the whole time, mm-hmm. like a past character or something. Cause so many people, there's all these theories that Stu was alive and right. he's going to come back. And, um, I made some notes about like how there are lots of little references to Stu throughout the movie. And I think that that was the director's way of being like, haha, he's not in the movie, but we hear everyone talking so much about Stu wanting to come back. Um, but yeah, that's what I thought that poster was so smart. Cause I was like, Oh yeah, duh. The killer is on the poster. His mask is right there. And then I was like, Oh wait, the killer really is on the poster. It's one of the characters that are on the poster or two of the characters that are on the poster. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was cool. They, the marketing for this movie was a plus. Oh man. And I really felt having seen the trailer that like they did a good job of playing with our expectations, even in the scenes. Mm-hmm. Like I don't, I know we're going to talk, walk through the story in a minute, but like, I it was kind of in the air that one of the characters, a big character, was going to die. You know, yeah. Mm-hmm. And there and there's it seems to be a big action scene in the hospital with them in the trailer. So when we got to that part, I was kind of like bracing myself. And then they like make it all the way through that scene, and you're like, oh, okay. I guess like the trailer w- did not set me up for what I thought it was going to happen. Yeah. And then like they go back in. Mm-hmm. Um, and I felt that with the opening scene too, which we saw a lot of in the trailer, like yeah. they did a good job of teasing little elements and then that didn't spoil the whole scene when mm-hmm. you were watching the movie. Well, cause I totally thought that she was a goner in the first scene. I thought yeah. it was a classic from the original. And when they did that, when they kept her alive, but, like, in a weakened condition for the rest of the movie. So mm-hmm. that she basically has the plot arc of uh, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis in Halloween, too. She's got that, like, she's in the hospital with the killer most of the movie. So that, like, there's a very alarming thing going on there. And it's like, you don't ever get the catharsis of that first kill and being like, oh, that was tragic, but that person, you know, like, they're dead now, so at least they're not, like, running from the killer. She's running from the killer the whole movie, and in some way they, like, extends the anxiety of the first scene throughout the entire film. Mm-hmm. Um, because, like, mm-hmm. the very first victim is, like, still running. Is this the first time they haven't killed the victim in the opening scene? Yep. I think so. Right? Yeah. It opened with quite a bang, and then Five seconds later, they're like, she survived. And I'm like, wow. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah, I do kind of wonder what happens immediately when we cut to the title, when they're like going in for the death blow. Yeah. You hear the police there, but just like, do they run away or is it like a light? A light stabbing. <laughs> a light stabbing. I don't remember who said it. She said it or some other character said she was stabbed seven times. Yeah. But we, we only yeah. saw three. Damn. Hmm. So she got sliced up. Damn. Yeah. And in the hand, too. Yeah. It's awful. I've got to say, the the most bloody parts of Ready or Not also involve things going through people's hands. That's which true. Which I rewatched um, right before seeing this. And so for that to be, like, the first big thing that happens in the movie, I felt like was a little... That movie is also excellent. I love that movie. Well, tribute to that. Yeah, I love that movie. This made me feel like I could handle Ready or Not. And that you, you gotta could, watch it is so good. It's really good. And there's a lot of the DNA of this. Yes. It it leans into the dark comedy, I would say, a lot more than that Scream did. But it's very it's very it's very good. Very entertaining. Okay. Should we right. Yeah, let's hear the stats on this, Wayne. Okay. Uh Scream. Just called Scream. It was uh directed by Matt 
Bettinelli Olpin and Tyler Gillett were the founders of the production company Radio Silence. On some of their stuff, they're even credited as Radio Silence. But on this, and I think on Ready or Not, too, they're credited by their real names. Uh, two guys, they've done like some anthology and short film stuff. But in terms of full movies, this is their third after Devil's Do and Ready or Not, which came out in 2019. I didn't know they did Devil's Do. Have you seen that? Huh? I haven't seen that. How was it? It's pretty good. It's a found footage movie. Uh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and this is, I've got to say, the first one not to be directed by the late, great Wes Craven. Mm-hmm. Any thoughts about the directing while we're here about how they carry on the torch of Wes's very unique style? I think they create tension in a different way. Mm-hmm. Uh, like by cutting between things and like flashing away from stuff. Whereas Wes would build these incredibly tense set piece sequences in a house. I think the only thing that comes close to that in this is the scene where they keep teasing that Ghostface is going to be behind the fridge or behind the closet. Uh-huh. Um, and then finally he's, he is there. Oof. I think that it's different than mm-hmm. the, like the long scenes in the house uh, in the first, especially in the first and second screams, I would say. Yeah. It's a lot more, I would say like, suspenseful with like Wes Craven's direction. And I feel like this one was a little bit more like tense. It's very similar to like being suspenseful. There was just like a little difference to it. It was a little bit more like, yeah. like intimate in a way. Like there was just like a lot of like closeness and like some of the shots and like how close like the killer would get to his victims, like all the time and like almost play with them and like kind of draw out a lot of the attacks too. Wes Craven's was a lot more like tension, suspense building. There's like so many sequences throughout all the movies. Like there's like two or three like prolonged sequences of like suspense building in a lot of Wes Craven's. And mm-hmm. I agree with what Emmett said. Like this one had really like that one long sequence with Wes and Judy Hicks, which was very similar to that. But then the other scenes I feel like were, and it took in a, a different, a good, but different direction. Yeah. I think that it is, that scene is the high point from the directing standpoint. Mm-hmm. I think it's totally, like, respectfully directed. Like, there's nothing in it that looks bad to me. But it definitely isn't as showy as the Wes Craven style. Yeah. Where you're really thinking about the directing as you're watching it. Mm -hmm. But again, I I do want to say it does look really good. I think all of the kills, especially, like, it certainly seems like almost everything is done practically in this. And Mm -hmm. there isn't really any awkward CGI. Mm -hmm. Dude, that knife in the neck is... Ooh. Freaking messed yeah. up. <laughs> yeah. Um, and the yeah. one through the cheeks at the end, too. Yeah. Well, that but, one yeah. is gruesome, but at least that one, it just, like, happens and it's over. But the they really, like, hang out mm-hmm. with the knife in the neck. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. the hospital at night sequence, like, when all the lights went out in the hallway, that was visually very cool. Yeah. Um, the way that was lit. Tara's character in the wheelchair, like trying her very best to get away, and he's just like slowly advancing on her. I just mm-hmm. that was really cool. I think that is like a, a really good writing too, to the point where like we've we love this character at this point. She is at her worst point. It's like she's been attacked twice now, right? Mm-hmm. Already, mm-hmm. and he's creeping through the hospital. She's like wheeling along and leaving a trail of blood with the. With the wheelchair, I mean, it's inc- it's incredible. Yeah, I would say probably never go to a private floor of a hospital. Yeah, especially true. in Woodsboro. 
We've already yeah. seen that hospital sucks in part four. So, like, why would you go there? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, well, you mentioned the writing. I do think the writing is a really standout. This is the second one after Scream 3 not to be written by Kevin Williamson, mm-hmm. who was an executive producer. Uh, but it was written together by Guy Busick, who wrote Ready or Not, and James Vanderbilt, who's got a ton of stuff, including the Zodiac movie oh, for wow. David Fincher and the Amazing Spider-Man Andrew Garfield movies. Wow. The score is by Brian Tyler, who also did Ready or Not. This is the first one not to have any music from Marco Beltrami. Hmm. Well, I guess you've got the old scores and stuff, but the the first one where the new music is not composed mm-hmm. by Beltrami. Uh, runs one hour and 54 minutes, released January 14th, 2020 by Paramount Pictures, because the Dimension Films imprint is no more. Huh. It was released 25 years and 25 days after the original released oh. on December 20th, 1996. And a budget, I thought this was really interesting, a budget of $25 million, which is the same budget as Scream 2, but less than the $40 million that 3 and 4 both had. Wow. Which was also two decades ago, so, you know, that's even less money than it was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it seems to be doing well. We're recording this on Sunday, and I just read that the first three days had a $30 million box office, so it's already made back its budget, uh, and is the first movie to be number one other than Spider-Man since Spider-Man came out. Mm-hmm. Wow. So a pretty big deal. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's pretty sweet. Yeah, I think that's pretty much what we got. And, and good reviews. It's the third highest rated on Metacritic after the first two, just sort of slightly underneath those. So seems like people are liking it, which I'm glad about. Mm-hmm. Emmett, you want to walk us through it? Okay, Scream, which is the fifth Scream movie. Not to be confused with Scream, which is also the first Scream movie, uh, <laughs> is a movie about two sisters from Woodsboro, the original place of the disastrous happenings of the first Scream movie. But neither of them seem to know very much about their town's brutal past. They're just hanging out, being fun girls and one of them really likes horror movies the younger one who still lives there they're estranged from each other but when the young girl is brutally attacked by somebody wearing the ghost face mask her sister the older sister sam comes back um to care for her younger sister with her creepy boyfriend played by maybe Iceman from X-Men, but maybe not. I can't, I couldn't ever be, I couldn't ever be 100% sure either way. I was like, Bobby, is that you? That's Dennis Quaid's son. Yeah, and Meg Ryan. Mm-hmm. Which I didn't know. So no That's Jack Quaid. Yeah, wow. Jack Quaid. Jack Quaid seemingly playing past and future guest Zach Stoll's. my opinion i did not think he was creepy so i'm sorry that i haven't said that before i said that joke (laughs) he has like almost all of the comedic relief and is sort of like a very affable liked by everyone sort of audience surrogate character yeah it was very interesting because the the first time i saw it like everything he said killed uh-huh. And people were, like, so into him, which set it up in a fun way. But then the second time I saw it, I feel like people were not very amused by him. S- started looking askance at him, which is also an interesting way to view the movie. Yeah, I was scans looking at him, but I also watched this with almost zero other audience members in the big empty theater. <laughs> so I was looking askance at everybody. 
Um, yeah, I think to what Thor said about Stu, there had been those rumors that he was going to come back. That mm-hmm. The actor was just in He's All That on Netflix, so like he's back doing things. He's back, baby. Stu's and when back. when the first question on the phone was, she says the killer is Billy Loomis, and they're like, no, there was Stu as well. Uh, That's uh, when I was like, oh, it's Stu. He is behind mm-hmm. this. Yeah. But no, they're just playing. I guess they are also in the movie kind of setting up the house. Yes. Oh, which yeah. becomes important. There's the part when, um, uh, who is it? Richie is on YouTube and he's watching that video of those people reviewing Stab 8. Mm-hmm. I look, when I saw it yesterday, on the right hand side, all those thumbnails, the last one says, I don't remember the exact wording, but it says, is it possible that Stu Mocker could still be alive? There was a video titled that. Oh, wow. Oh, hmm Wow. And there was one about Kirby. Yeah. Where's the Kirby thing? It's that on that same list of thumbnails. It's this, the top one, and it has a picture of Hayden Panettiere, and it says, Interview with Woodsboro Survivor Kirby Reed. Whoa. Yeah. She is thanked in the credits, She's too. still out there. She's still alive. Damn. Which is very cool. Mm-hmm. Maybe we'll get a little cameo from her at some point, if they make another one. I feel like they've got to make another one, but we can get on to our theories for yes. that in just a second. <laughs> yes. Through a series of stabbings, the killer creeps closer to the young lady. What's her name in the hospital? Tara. Tara. Oh, it's Tara and Sam. So Sam. Yes. Uh, Sam Carpenter. Like, Sam Carpenter is like, look, we have to get the hell out of Dodge. My ghost daddy, Billy Loomis, is telling me <laughs> that we have to get out of town. Otherwise, I might have to kill someone. <laughs> Which is also great, because then you're like, wait, is it her? Is she secretly trying to do it the whole time? Trying to kill her own sister and everyone around her? It looks like she wants to at points. You know, this is a really interesting new trope of the person who wants to be a serial murderer and then doesn't, and then other people start murdering people around them, and they're like, I must. It's my chosen calling. And then she goes berserk and kills him. Incredible. (laughs) How did you guys feel about this? This revelation that... Because I feel like we talked about this last time, because we knew everyone was connected to the past cast. Uh-huh. But, like, they all died when they were 17, so it's hard for them to be kids. But Sam is, she is the child of Billy Loomis with a big question mark of a mother. How did you guys feel about, like, that element and, like, all the footage of the original mm-hmm. Skeet Ulrich back in there? Like, when it first showed up, I was, I was like, oh, I did not know he was going to be in this movie. And I was like, dang, yeah. he's, they really tried to de-age this guy. Yeah, it does open up another can of worms. Like, well, who is her mom? And I guess it doesn't really matter at the end of the day because her dad is Billy Loomis. So, like, her mom's kind of irrelevant to the plot. I mean, there's no other character that I can think of from the first movie that it could be. Um, So I guess it's just some unknown person. I mean, they said her name was Christina. Oh, did they? At the beginning of the movie when uh, he calls Tara, he says, can I speak to Christina? And she's like, no. So, I mean, that's the only thing that you know about her. At first, I did not like it when I first saw Billy because I was like, are they about to say she is Sydney's daughter and Sydney gave her up? Because that just goes against. I just don't think Sydney would do that. And also she would. I don't know. We would have known about that by now. I feel like, you know, it just seems weird to if she had been her mom. You know what I mean? 
I'm glad they didn't go that route. The actress is also Mexican, which would be hard for Sydney. Exactly. So I was like, it's like, what's happening? Melissa Um, Barrera. So I'm glad they went not that way. And it was, she's Billy's daughter. And then that lends like a, oh, maybe she's, she's taking these, this medication. Maybe she has snapped or something. Um, So I thought, I thought it was cool. It was an interesting direction to take it. And, you know, some people probably won't like stuff like that, but I thought I liked it. I thought it was cool. And it ties into her whole Ray arc from spoilers for yes. Star Wars: Rise of Skywalker, where she has she has like her demon, her ogre father, who is like speaking to her through a psychic connection. Pretty compelling stuff, honestly. Mm-hmm. So she's like, okay, we have to research the past if we want to survive our future here. So they go back to Woodsboro and they find the one person they know who lived through all four of the movies after getting stabbed several times. Our old favorite, Dewey Riley, Mm. played by a truly splendid David Arquette in this one. He's so good in this Mm -hmm. one. Playing the exact arc of Han Solo from The Force Awakens, he at first resists being drawn in and then he's like, all right, you crazy kids, we got to go do this. I'm not going to watch you get stabbed just like my sister and literally all of my friends and everyone I ever knew. And he still doesn't talk about the sister, but he does have her ashes, presumably, mm-hmm. on his little desk, which I thought was a lovely nod. There's yes. a lot of little ties in here. Like, he mentions his limp, which is a thing mm-hmm. that comes and goes. We see Gail on TV talking about the bangs, which mm-hmm. I thought was wonderful. Damn. There's a lot of little things like that. We also have Dewey make... To me, the best acting in this entire film is this phone call between Dewey between Dewey and Sydney. Yeah, mm. that was good. Whatever the weird chemistry between them that has been going strong in a single scene in each of the five movies, there it is there. It is there even over the phone. There is like some beautiful tenderness. There's like some real understanding. Yeah, it's gorgeous. The only thing that could bring her back to Woodsboro is Dewey, and it's too late. Mm-hmm. Quite sad. Speaking of gorgeous, I just have to say, <laughs> oh god, I just have to say, and I'm sorry that I have to do it, but Nev Campbell looks unbelievable in this movie. But she's 48 in real life. Unbelievable. She's, she she looks so good. She has never looked better. And she's looked great in all of these, but like when it starts with her and in the Nike branded <laughs> product placement jog wear, I mean, incredible. Did you guys catch who she was married to? Wait, oh, I did, baby. I looked it up. They who said, uh, he said, "How's Mark doing?" Mark Kincaid from Part Three, the detective. Patrick oh, Dempsey. it is. Yeah, he, she. Wait, so she's with. Oh my god. She's with Nick Dreamy. She's with Nick Dreamy. No wonder she's looking so happy and good. (laughs) Wow. I loved that. I thought that was so cool. Yeah, I was really happy about that. Emmett, what about how did it feel seeing Gail Gail Weathers again after all these years? I know she's your number one. She is my number one. Yes, yes, sir. Love her. Her arc ended in the third movie and they haven't known what to do with her since. Is how I feel about hmm. about that. They were like confused about what she was like, kind of hanging around in the fourth movie and in this one. She does get the badass moment at the end. 
I don't know. I think there's some sweet stuff between her and Dewey, as always, uh, that I really like. Yeah. I don't know. I think this movie kind of leaves the two of them, Sydney and um, Gail, out a little bit with its focus on the Dewey, because he's the one who's still there in Woodsboro. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Bringing them in at the end is pretty cool and hype, but I think it kind of undercuts i don't mean like it undersells like what they're going through but i I don't think it necessarily needs to like go into all of that because it is about the new cast but Mm -hmm. yeah yeah i feel like gail gets the shortest end of the stick yeah of any of them which is a shame because i do think she sells every moment she has in this movie yeah comedic and the exciting and the sad Mm -hmm. in a big way um so i wish she had a little but honestly, that's almost all of my criticisms about this movie are just wishing that we had a little bit more of some of the new characters or some of yeah. the old characters. Like, It's an interesting angle into this because you've got the legacy characters who come in at the end. Then you've got a new cast of high schoolers, which is what Four did as well. But then like, neither of those are the main character, I guess kind of because they have to line the age up for how old Sam would be if she was Billy's daughter. So then it's like this interesting angle where like your protagonist is someone coming back to this town in the middle of these two different groups. I mean, I think it works. I just think it's a lot for any one movie to juggle. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It is super interesting. She, the, the actress playing Sam is I think like 31 or 32. And I think we can assume Mm -hmm. that her character would have to be about that same age right to be she says that she's 23 i think 23 wouldn't she have to be she'd have to be like 25 if the first movie came out in 96 we have to assume it happened that she was born either right before or like very soon right. after the the first movie so i guess what would that make her 20 she'd be 25 they say that she's only five years older than tara though and she's eight. Oh, weird. oh that's true and she's in high school so I feel like they've done, they've smudged the lines a little bit yeah. to try and make that all fit. I guess she doesn't necessarily have to be in high school because they never, we never see her in high school. We just see her in the hospital. So I don't know, maybe she is I not in so. high school and like her friends are seniors or something. I don't know. I think maybe I got 23 from because she said that it's been five years since she left town and she left town like on her 18th birthday. Okay. So maybe this movie doesn't take place in 2021. Well, place. that's fair because yeah, it, like, it wasn't originally supposed to. It got delayed from the pandemic, so so that's fair. maybe it takes place in 2018 or 2019 instead. All of that uh, timeline digression aside, I think it's interesting to see a character kind of like caught between the generations of like what, like you said, of like the mm. two casts of this movie. That person is like close to our age. And is also, like, the kind of person who would have grown up watching Scream movies since the 90s. And, like, they're caught in between the wave of people who actually, like, experienced the stuff and a wave of people who are, like, scoffing at the stuff and, like, think it's a big joke. And she's, like, in this painful middle ground. And that's, like, immediately realized in her own life by the fact that, like, it's her her ghost father talking to her. Mm-hmm. I think that's kind of cool. Yeah. She's living in Modesto. She is working at a bowling alley. Mm-hmm. She's a resonant hero for our times, I would say. One thing I didn't really like, which is a very small detail, is her line about like finding out the truth and then doing a ton of drugs. 
Oh, I feel yeah. like that plays into certain cultural stereotypes that we see in Hollywood movies a lot. And then balanced with that is the fact that it is not really paid off in any way. That is not a part of her character or like relevant to her arc in any way they would make in the movie. Other than that, she just kind of used to make trouble, and that's why, like, Judy Hicks doesn't like her. Yeah, well, they also need a reason for her to have been estranged from her family, or for her to have left her sister for it to have been okay. But I was still reading all of that, and sometimes I can't tell in these movies. Sometimes I honestly can't tell. Because sometimes there'll be lines like that, and the actor will deliver them in such a way that it's ambiguous whether it's true or not. And I Hmm. think that that is like a technique that is used to unsettle the audience to be like, do we believe fully believe this character or not? But I also think sometimes it's confused. It can like confuse the plot a little or like confuse. Like if you like go back and pick the lines apart, it can confuse it a little bit because at that part in the movie, as I remember it, I was still thinking she's like kind of a psychopath and she is a psychopath. And like whether or not she chooses to act on those impulses like she's she's got a different sort of wiring going on up top and i thought that she was like manipulating her sister into going with her or like i and i still thought that she could be the killer but that like all of what she was saying was just excuse and lie not necessarily like the real truth of what she was doing Mm. and that the easiest thing for her to say to make her sister believe her is like oh yeah i'm sorry like i did a bunch of drugs i was really messed up like take me back which i think some of this movie is playing with in an interesting way i didn't think about that that's interesting where are we where are we in the plot eventually they get they make it to a house well you skip you skip the the big scene in the middle Oh, what's the what big the scene hospital. in the middle? The, you skip the hospital scene. Oh yeah, which part of it should should I describe? Which part of it do we need to get into? Oh, the part where where, <laughs> where one of the main characters one dies of the main for characters the first time in like three movies. <laughs> well, Judy Hicks dies before this too. Who's yeah, a returning character. Sweet in Judy. a cool sequence, I didn't really care too much for her or her kid in this one, but yeah. I felt so bad for. her. She she really got she got her. got she yeah. got got that was a great sequence too that whole yeah. sequence from when it starts I don't uh, know that actor but I have heard that he is like very popular on yeah TikTok and Tumblr and stuff he's in Thirteen Reasons Why he looks a lot like another actor from our youth who I can't remember the name of mm. uh, some people have said that it is sort of an analog to the uh, Drew Barrymore kill in that he is like he was heavy in the marketing and is a big teen star getting a shower scene he's blonde yeah 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 i was shocked that he went out i thought he was gonna make it to the next one so yeah we're in the hospital they're there to help to help tara escape uh because they figured out that the ghost face is probably there trying to attack her they go and manage to escape, but then Dewey's like, remembers, oh, you always have to shoot him in the head, goes back in, pulls out his special ghost face killing bullet. Yeah. Yeah. Puts out, it puts in his special ghost face killing bullets and then gets got and gets got for real. Cause you know, when they stab Dewey, they're usually just like stab him and then leave him there. (laughs) This time, she like stabs him. She she cuts him open like a can opener. Yeah, awful. 
it's awful. Brutal. And then just so waits sad. for him waits for him to die. Just like I know what's up. Um and then leaves him there. Crazy. I don't know. The way it was framed and like how much build up there was to it and him like walking back and like flicking the gun and everything. It was mm-hmm. very like ceremonious. You knew it was about to happen. Yeah. But he had like a very in my mind, proper and respectful send off for how much people care about his character. And he died sacrificing himself for people that he didn't even know, but that's who he is. That's what he, and it just completed his character arc. I mean, there was nowhere else to go with him. um, If he didn't die in the, in my opinion, if he didn't die in the movie and that did contribute to the idea that the stakes are really high in this one and they're not afraid to kill off people that you're, you're really close with. Yeah. Yeah. And honestly, I got to say, this one gets me way more than Han Solo. Mm. It's like more meaningful because he's like actually a better, he's actually a better figure throughout all of these movies is a better like support figure for everyone. Yeah. Very consistent. Yeah. He's like one of the saddest ones. I I cried. Not gonna lie. His poor sister gets killed by a garage door in the first one. And he's just had to live with that his whole life. Like, I was like, oh, my God, he's... And I kind of prepared my... I was like, I know at least one of them's going to die. I feel like it's most likely Dewey. Mm-hmm. And then the scene, like, immediately following that, when it went into slow motion and Gail, like, realized it was him and, like, the musical score behind it was just so sad. And that's when I was just like, this... It wrecked me. I was so sad. I was crying. And then, like, Sydney showed up and they had their moment together. That was so sweet. And they acted, like, especially Courtney Cox these movies parallel her life and David Arquette's life so much. Yeah. Right. And I mean, I know they're still close in real life as far as like friends go and they have a daughter and stuff together. And so, I mean, she was literally saying goodbye in cinema world to her best friend, Like she says, or later on in the movie. And so I'm sure there was a lot of like real life emotion behind that. And she's not going to be on set with him anymore. And like these movies and stuff. And that was like a big chapter of their lives. That is, close now uh, they did that was a really beautiful way of sending him off i mean i agree that it was the thing to do mm-hmm. and that it was really well done it was still hard it still felt like randy in oh, number two sure. yeah where you're like oh it feels wrong like they mm-hmm. shouldn't have done it but i also think they should have because but... dewey is sydney gale and dewey are screen yeah you mm-hmm. know what i mean and yeah. now he's gone and I also think it's a testament to how this movie works that like that like Dewey died for these new characters and we don't sort of resent them for that, you know? Yeah, we like them, yeah. especially the sisters. I loved. I thought the sisters were, they had such a great dynamic together. Yeah, uh, I believed them. Especially, I felt so badly for Tara. Everything she goes through at the beginning of the movie, and then this poor girl like trying to get away from Ghostface in a wheelchair. She has a boot on one of her legs, and I was like, "Y'all, leave this, leave her alone!" My God. Yeah. Um. So I thought that was as soon as he got in the car with Sam, I was like, "I think it's over for for our boy, and he's going to go out in a blaze of glory." And he did. I've got to say in this scene that I knew it was Richie when Ghostface just lightly slashed his arm and then pushed him away. Uh huh. That's, I feel like, one of the tropes of this movie is, like, whoever gets the non-lethal treatment by Ghostface yeah. is the other Ghostface. See, I thought they were doing a Scream 2 situation, though, where they sliced Derek's arm, uh-huh. the boyfriend, and just left him, yeah. and then everyone suspects the boyfriend again in the sequel, and then he ends up not being a part of it. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just I don't know. That was that was very cl- and it was the same arm and everything like how he got sliced, like how Derek got sliced. I thought that was an interesting little callback. So, I just thought they yeah. were going in that direction again. Yeah. Watching it a second time when you know it's Richie and Amber. Ugh. I mean, there are so many things all the way through, like all of these movies. Like they do such a good job of being little murder mysteries. But in this scene when Richie has seen Dewey kill Ghostface thinks that he has just seen his actual girlfriend get murdered. Like the look on his face, like when he's on the floor looking at Dewey doing it before Dewey like picks him up and shoves him into the elevator. It's very telling. I didn't even, I didn't even think about that. I like when Richie and Amber are going back and forth with each other. Like, well, you were watching Netflix and well, how about you're the killer? It said it was your phone. And I'm like, it literally was her phone though. Like, she yeah. was literally the one calling. That's why it says Amber Freeman. I'm like, ah, it's so obvious, but it also isn't. That's what's so clever about it. That's so. That's just so smart. Yeah. We also skipped what I think Thor called last time, which is that Martha Meeks comes back. Told oh. you. Hey. Damn. Yeah. Love that. But both her kids survived, which was shocking to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My man did get stabbed in the, like, femoral artery so like okay sure <laughs> but i like him i'm glad he made it he wasn't like your typical like jock yeah. root, like you know what i mean like yeah. character he was actually like funny and i liked him i'm glad he made it through i liked both of them uh a lot especially mindy I oh for mindy sure she was so good is a real standout in this movie and she is sort of the only one like she is playing randy you know mm-hmm. In a way that is so fun. And she's sort of the only one of the new cast who is doing that. And I think it works because Randy is no longer in the movie. But his, like, his legacy is so sweet in her. Mm-hmm. And she calls it right away, too. I want to say that the movie obviously talks about this. But Dewey immediately calls that Richie is the killer. And calls where the they can find the other killer in her friends. Mm-hmm. Um, and Mindy immediately calls the motivation of the villains. That like they've set up this kind of movie in our trying to make source material for this kind of movie mm-hmm. so good work damn i liked the when um wes the blonde blood judy hicks son when he was like mm-hmm. oh crap my mom's one of the characters she's like no one cares about the sequels you're fine <laughs> i just thought that was funny because so many people you know crap on sequels all the time mm-hmm. and then he was like out the next scene him and his mom yeah down. There's another line about the stabs too, where they say, "Don't they say like the series went off the rails in the fifth one?" Yes, I thought like that was cool. And yeah. in in the fourth movie, the like triple opening, mm-hmm. when it becomes the real opening and the two girls are sitting there, she says, uh, "Stab five features time travel, which is by far the worst one." And so they've like constantly crapped uh, on the fifth one. I thought that was a little callback there. That's fun. I'd be interested to see. I want that stab Blu-ray box set that was up on the the mantle. <laughs> I'd love to see all eight of these. I think that'd be fun. Let's see. Let's see. Okay, so they escape the hospital only to realize they have to turn around for the inhaler. They have to go back into the house. The boyfriend is like, "No, we can't go back. I've almost got you in my clutches." And they have to go back into the house. They kick out all the rest of the people partying there, and then one by one the friends that we've made along the way are stabbed off until finally a big reveal. It's Amber. She just shoots that one girl right in the face. That part is so cool that, yeah, that part is wild. That other girl. I've also got to say is one of the characters who really gets nothing to do. Yeah. Um, she did the it. girlfriend 
who I don't remember the actress's name, but I read that she is a French pop star. This is her first movie. This is her only movie she's been in. Yeah. Damn. Sonia Amar. Yeah. Mindy was like, you're way too boring to be a suspect or whatever. And I was like, they just, they're just going to go with that because they just made her boring. <laughs> when she was also, I noticed, the only character that did not have any connection to any other previous person. And so I'm curious uh-huh. if that's what made her the boring one, because she was the only one that had nothing to do with it. Uh-huh. I looked up her last name. Character's last name is Mackenzie. In the first movie, when they the parents find Casey's body, the dad tells the mom, drive down to the Mackenzie's. And so I'm curious if she's supposed to be uh-huh. like like a child and maybe she grew up knowing Casey's mother ran over there and said everything about Casey being killed. I don't know. Um, it just seems mm. like, why would you give her a last name if you're not even going to say it in the movie? But mm, in the yeah. online, it says that's her last name. Interesting. What about Amber? Does she have any familial connection or is it just that she lives in the Stu's house? Yeah. Not that I could find. It just said that they bought the house and she had been obsessed with it. Hmm. Yeah. I liked how she, how Amber revealed herself because that, that's like I think that's the first time the killer has revealed themselves willingly without the mask on and to a group of people instead of just Sydney or whoever. Yeah, she just was like, you know what? I'm just gonna tell you now, it's me. And then shoots that girl right in the face. <laughs> like, oh my god! <laughs> and it's a real power move. Fairly early on, too. There was still a half an hour of the movie left after she did that. Yeah, it's also her and Richie are the two who make everyone leave the party specifically yes. like yeah. they're the ones who evacuate mm-hmm. and she earlier in the movie when they first visit tara in the hospital she's the last one to leave and she's like do you have your extra inhaler tara's like oh yeah and then i guess assume that's the one that richie pocketed so they'd have to go to amber's house dastardly damn yeah and then they leave the hospital room judy makes them leave the hospital room together uh when they're like you're the killer you're the killer you watch netflix and then they're like come on and they walk outside I would assume to presumably plan what they're going to do next. Yeah. So anyways, Amber is revealed as killer number one. She's revealed. And then in short order, the boyfriend is revealed as killer number two. Uh-oh, should have known. It's always the boyfriend. Mm-hmm. <laughs> then we get Gail and Sydney coming in, guns blazing, basically rescue everybody when things seem the worst off. And at the last moment, the ghost of Skeet Ulrich speaks to young Sam, and she stabs her former boyfriend in the face, and then several, several more times in the I loved chest. It. Yeah. So great. Yeah. And then shoots him in the head like three times. And yeah. wipes the knife with her bare hand. Yeah. Because she's a psycho, and <laughs> I love it. <laughs> She does the ghost face knife wipe. So yeah. great. She was, you know, looking good throughout the whole movie. And then I was like, that's my woman. <laughs> she, <laughs> I was like, she's so cool. I love yeah. her. I love her too. And it's such a cool, like, ending to that arc. Mm-hmm. Like, I, she doesn't do anything evil, but she does use her legacy to help her out yeah. in a way that is. Yeah, I think a little more powerful than maybe just like totally ignoring it and changing your yeah. last name and never talking about it. Yeah. And it's like a, a strange way of like empowering the fact that she, that's not necessarily confirmed, but may or may not be struggling with some sort of like mental illness or something. Right. right. She's got the pills. Yeah. Um, yeah. I thought that was, that was an interesting way to approach that with her. 
It also reminds me a lot of Tommy Jarvis at the end of the fourth Friday the 13th. Yeah, that was cool. Like, get, who goes psycho on Jason and finally kills him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then inexplicably, a film that was released a year later, he's like 10 years older, and they don't even explain that. They don't, know. <laughs> so that movie took place in the 90s, apparently. <laughs> Had to. <laughs> Anyways, uh, Scream 2022. Yeah. <laughs> Truly. <laughs> then a flaming, a flaming Amber comes back in for one last jump scare kill, and young Tara dead shot right in the face. Amazing. Incredible. Yeah. And then in a scene reminiscent of both the first and second Halloweens, they get into an ambulance and go off to a different hospital, as <laughs> she asks to be taken to. And there's another news reporter wearing Gail Weathers' outfit from the first one. Oh, uh, yeah. Reporting on the news, very similar to the ending shot of the first one. And that t- it ties back into what you said at the beginning when we started. She says, almost 25 years to the day. And the movie was released Mm, almost almost 25 years to the day also. Wow. I thought that was cool. Uh, A nice little moment in the final battle is when Sydney and Gail are like coming up to the house and Amber comes out pretending to be a victim to like try and fool them. And they immediately know, Mm -hmm. which I think is a nice little arc from the first one where I think it's Randy and Stu or there's one scene where like Sydney has come back to the house and... Uh And it's one of the innocent guys and the killer, and they're both trying to, like, prove to her that they're innocent, and she can't tell. Yeah. By this point, she knows. Mm-hmm. I loved that. <laughs> I want to talk about the meta stuff here just for okay, yeah. a couple of minutes. I know we're starting to run short on time. Okay, so the Stab movies are, like, the in-universe depictions of what has happened in the screen movies, and that's a big part of this one. Mm-hmm. So early in the movie, we hear what seems like a funny incidental detail, which is that Ryan Johnson directed the eighth Stab movie, which was just called Stab, like how this movie is just called Scream. Uh, And it was like very polarizing. It didn't have the legacy characters in it. It like questioned a lot of the franchise's ethos. And then like the whole franchise went into meltdown and it like destroyed (laughs) the internet. Huh. That doesn't remind me of anything from the real world. (laughs) The cultural context of this is that Ryan Johnson directed Star Wars The Last Jedi, which was Star Wars 8, similar to Stab 8, Mm -hmm. that sort of, like, questioned some things that were in the franchise, was, like, a big boiling over point in the fandom. And that uh, I heard, like, the writers of this movie talking about how people also went against him very personally, like, started talking about his personality and like direct attacks at him on twitter over like how much they hated this movie so it basically like broke the internet last jedi i would say had much more of a divide between people loving it and people hating it we don't hear a ton of pro stab eight in this movie Mm -hmm. but when that's introduced it just seems like a funny little side like a film by robert rodriguez in scream 2 Mm -hmm. but then at the end it is revealed that Richie in real life is like a huge fan of the Stab franchise who hated Stab 8. That Amber got into it when her parents bought the house. That they met on Reddit on the message board of like the Stab series and have like done this whole thing to create what they think would be a better Stab sequel to be the source material for it. 
which is just like kind of incredible and ties back to a real life thing that a bunch of there is like a whole subreddit and a lot of YouTube channels because they also go after movie YouTubers in this movie dedicated to like people who hate The Last Jedi. And there was this huge fan petition movement for Disney to remake The Last Jedi according to a script that like they had written and like strike the original one from canon. So that's sort of like all of the stuff that's going on here. I like The Last Jedi. <laughs> I do too. I thought it was interesting. I, this movie likes The Last Jedi. Yeah, and it, <laughs> I, it tried me. different stuff, and I liked that one, and this one tried different stuff. I thought that was mm-hmm. cool. I don't know. I love all the like pot shots at things, and the whole fact that the first movie was partly inspired by real-life murders that took place in Florida. Right. Um, not that, you know, they didn't have, like, the mask and all that sort of thing, but... Yeah, just like going from that and like toning down the violence of the third one as a result of like the school shootings and stuff that were going on in like 2000. I don't know. I think that that brings like an interesting real life element into that idea of we're going to stage this whole in-universe real life murder spree. So they'll create a movie out of it, which is what actually happened. That's what started the entire screen franchise in the first place. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. There's also at the very end when she, when Amber's like pleading for her life, she's like, "I was radicalized. Hey, it wasn't. It's not my fault. Mm-hmm. I was online. It was like yeah. the internet made me do it. Wanted to be a part of something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is obviously her saying what people have said to like try and make sense of these people. You know, like yep. she does not believe that. Yeah, no, she and it's very clear she doesn't. And I feel like in a world where. Like, we have seen people, not Star Wars fans, but, like, radicalize online and go and storm the Capitol, try and kill the vice president. I feel like that line is a reference to there is so much sort of, like, hand-wringing and, like, trying to understand the other side and, Mm -hmm. like, looking at, like, how these people behave and making excuses. And I feel like it is just okay to, like, say some people are bad people, you know? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Which that is a reference to. I'm yeah, not this, saying if this you don't movie... like The Last Jedi, you're a bad person. But I'm saying <laughs> these characters who are killing people, like, it is okay to say they're bad people and not that they were radicalized by Reddit and 4chan, as they say. <laughs> I mean, which is ultimately what the first one boils down to is, like, they can never they never land on any one reason why they did it. They just wanted to kill people. And mm. they say, like, these movies don't make psychos. They just make psychos more creative, which I think is... Mm-hmm. kind of also what the internet does bring psychos together in yeah exactly in this yeah exactly yeah yeah i also think that richie has a bunch of very fun lines that are very similar to a lot of things you read online mm-hmm. after he's been revealed including the great one the how can fandom be toxic it's about love mm-hmm. but it's also funny because then it sort of casts his character before that, that he is sort of like acting as what he thinks Sam would want or like what he thinks people expect out of characters nowadays, mm-hmm. who is like clearly not who he really is, which you see at the very end. You know, he's like a 20 something dating a 17 year old. So, yeah, that's a. It's a problem. It's <laughs> kind of like, oh, OK. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, so is the killing people. So, Yeah. There's lots of issues they need to talk about. <laughs> All right. Best skill, Thor? I guess Dewey. So sad, mm. but yeah. Wade? I think Wes. I think Wes through the neck. Yeah. Oof. 
What, what about you? When the cop lady, uh, Judy, Officer Judy, is running to the door, and then you think it's like she's going to come in and see her son getting attacked, and then he just steps out and stabs her. Mm-hmm. That That's pretty brutal. That one got me. Mm-hmm. That got me good. In the and she is so careful too, yeah. and then just like goes totally frantic, crazy. When yeah. she hears that her son is in danger. Uh, MVP, OTP. Uh, we're, there's a lot of people to take off the table potentially, so we're just gonna take Sam off. MVP, um, Mindy. She's great, Wade. Okay, yeah, I think on screen it would also be Mindy, but my overall MVP I'm going to give to Roger L. Jackson as the voice of Ghostface. Ooh. I think he's really good in this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Especially that opening, like, five-minute sequence where he's not doing the Ghostface voice at first, uh-huh. but it's in there a little bit, and you're kind of like, is that him? Mm-hmm. And then it gets more and more like him. Yeah. That was good. Yeah, I think he's really good in this movie. Emmett, MVP? I'm going to go with Tara. Hey. Okay. I did not think she was going to live past the first scene. When I did, I said... I'm with her for the rest of the movie. <laughs> I wish there had been more of her in the hospital and that it turned more into a Halloween two scenario of she's to me like the more interesting of the two sisters, her older sister being a psycho badass who comes in and saves her is cool. But I think if she'd done more defending herself, that would have been fun too. And when she goes after the girl with the crutches, it's very satisfying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's like her previous best friend. With yeah. her freaking inhaler at her house. With, yeah, for real. Yeah. I thought at the beginning that they were supposed to be more than friends. When she's yeah. texting her about coming yeah. over for dinner, like my place tonight. And then you see Amber like getting ready. And she's like, I've got the wine cabinet unlocked. That's what I thought we were supposed to think at first. But then. Maybe well, maybe not. that is true. I don't know. She was very overprotective of her. Amber was. Yeah. 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 That's Jenna Ortega playing. Tara. Yeah, shout out to her. I think something that, like, having watched all of the uh, Friday the 13th especially, something that has been missing in a lot of those was, like, any sort of empathy or, like, identification with any of the characters who are in danger. But I feel like that's what I got a lot of from both sisters and from the twins, um, from the Meeks twins. Um, I got that, like, characters that I cared about, vulnerability, and just, like, people who seemed, like, cool and fun that you would want to hang out with. I think, like, a lot of slashers do the thing where they, like, make them assholes so that you care less and so that it doesn't matter as much when they get killed off. Mm-hmm. But Scream doesn't do that. It doesn't pull punches and is like, no, he will care about these people. It respects the archetypes of characters, but also respects the characters in general, not just who they're supposed to be, but who they eventually are made by the performance and i really liked that i thought that was cool yeah yeah okay final thoughts and updated ranking of the scream series my ranking is the original one two and five tied closely followed by the fourth one and then the third one Hmm. i think it's a very welcome return to form but also in a way that wasn't a return to form i like the old elements that it brought back And then the new things it introduced were very interesting and clever, especially for a 2022 audience. I think it's easy for a casual 
moviegoer to watch and still enjoy, uh, but provides a lot more richness for people who are big fans of the franchise. And if they choose to take it anywhere further, I'm excited to see where that is. Just leave Sydney and Gail out of it. Mm-hmm. Let them be in peace, please. <laughs> Bring back Kirby and let her be the mentor mm. for the next one. Go that with that. Cool. Yeah. Kirby, Kirby, Sam, and Tara taking on a new ghost face in number six. I'd be interested in that. Yeah. <laughs> um, Wade? Updated ranking would be number one, Scream. Number two, Scream. <laughs> 2022. Number three, Scream 4, number 4, Scream 2, number 5, Scream 3. I think this very comfortably rose to my second favorite. I don't think it has better sequences than Scream 2 or maybe even Scream 4. I would have to rewatch Scream 4 to really say about that. I'd say it's maybe like the fourth best directed, which isn't really an insult because Wes Craven is such a good director. But I think, like, what this movie is saying, I was so surprised and loved so much. Also that it manages to give, like, those really big crowd-pleasing moments. I think I probably would have, like, I just think it's juggling a lot. Like, Stu's cousin, who is around for five minutes and then gets killed. That's a cool scene, but, like, we don't care about him at all and then he gets killed. So if we could have taken some of that time... And given it to, like, characterizing the twins or the girlfriend more Mm. to make us, like, invested in that stuff. Maybe even the Judy West. Like, I could see a movie where they're not in this movie and that is spent more on other original characters. But I really like the movie we've got. And I want to give a shout out to Francis. (laughs) Okay. And then future. I could see one world where we this is, like, the start of a new trilogy. Mm-hmm. that we get very close together, similar to the original trilogy. And I would be excited about that. I think also leave Sydney and Gail out of it. Maybe bring them back for like a big one down the line, if that's the case. Yes. But I could also see one where it's another 11 years, and then we check back in like the last two. <laughs> and they're going on 60. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it's just like in every now and then when there's a good idea, we check back in and make fun of whatever's happening right now so i would be happy either way but um yeah really impressed by this emmett okay i'm gonna say scream scream to scream 2022 scream four and then scream three mm-hmm. that, that's how i would rank them i believe i still love the sequences of scream two i think it's so much fun mm-hmm. i think it's the hypest of all of them the second one mm-hmm. and the original cannot obviously can't be topped this is an excellent installment. I agree with Wade about having like more time spent on the development of the new characters could have could have been beneficial. I also think I like that we kept some of them alive, but I don't know that they all needed to survive. You, you know, especially right. if you're not going to spend that much time developing them as characters, you could have spent more time. I don't know on on one and then killed the other one off or something. Mm-hmm. Overall, I like this movie. As a series, it is really interesting because of its ability for the the killer to keep coming back without having to do dumb resurrection stuff on a single character. Mm. I do think that's what like keeps it fresh. I think it would be really cool if they did a, a couple of sequels right now, if they have good ideas. But I think like a big challenge about that is that like 
the trends that they tend to make fun of are trends that take like five years to emerge in films. Yeah. And like they've mined a lot of the ones, a lot of the current thing. It would be hard for it to like remain timely without repeating itself, but they may be able to do it. And I think it would be exciting to see. What do you think the title of a sixth screen movie would be? <laughs> uh, if part five is also called Scream. <laughs> Scream Legacy. I think it would be called Scream 2, A New Scream. (laughs) Scream 2, 2024. (laughs) Scream dies tonight. No, shut up. (laughs) I hate that. (laughs) Uh, All right. Well, that's everybody's last thoughts on this, which it is for me. I have no further thoughts on this. I I think they're all excellent. I really do, after having watched a lot of those... There's other films. I do think this is like top of the genre stuff. While I love Halloween and Halloween 2, I think this is more fun. I think each of these has a little bit of levity um, that breaks it up, the like, constant tension of those older slasher films. Mm. All right. But now we are going to take it to the quiz, which today I have called the I Scream, You Scream, We All Scream for Sponsorship Quiz. Today, ladies and gentlemen, we are trying to get sponsored by Ben and Jerry's ice cream. (laughs) So I have come up with a quiz. Can you spot the fake ice cream name? We've got 10 wild ass flavors that are from real life. And for each one, I have made up a fake name to go along with it. You'll have to pick which one is real and which one is fake. Uh, First, I'll just read you the names. And if you need extra help determining i can read you the blurb from the website describing the flavor are you, are you ready have you made all begin? of those up as well no i've i'll just have one description of the flavor and you'll have to describe uh, you'll have okay. to pick okay, okay you know which cool. which name it truthfully describes okay all right question one the name could be poppers and nuts or peanuts popcorn with an exclamation point after both peanuts Uh-oh. and popcorn <laughs> It it has to be the second one, right? <laughs> they do like their exclamation marks in the Ben and Jerry's, but um, I'm going to go with poppers and nuts. So Thor's correct with peanuts mm. and popcorn. Wait, that's incorrect. Poppers and nuts is a fake name. <laughs> <laughs> I can't imagine how. <laughs> All right. Next question. Peanut butter and jelly or Peeber and the Jays? What? Um, I'm gonna go with peanut butter and jelly. I really want it to be Peeber and the Jays. <laughs> yeah, Wade, you got that correct. It is peanut butter and jelly. Uh, number three. But Peeber and the Jays is the name of your next album. Isn't that correct, Emma? <laughs> it is. That's correct. That's, that's the name of this trio. We're gonna we're gonna have yeah. a our barbershop trio. <laughs> uh, the, number three. Ho-ho cake or Boston cream pie? I feel like I've heard that Boston cream pie is real before. Yeah, I'm going to do Boston cream pie. All right, you're both correct. It is Boston cream pie. That is a real flavor of ice cream. Wavy gravy or groovy smoothie? They both sound horrible. Can I describe describe to you what this ice cream has in it? Okay, okay. Really, any flavor inspired by a politically active clown ought to be weird. 
Part of a flavor era inspired by actual nuts, this ice cream delivered an odd but evocative combo of cashew, Brazil nut ice cream with a chocolate hazelnut fudge swirl, and roasted almonds. And it lasted for eight years. Groovy smoothie. I'm going to go with wavy gravy. <laughs> That's a point for Wade. <laughs> for real? For, for wavy Wade. <laughs> All right. Number five. Can't say either of these names without laughing. <laughs> Fatty Carbuncle or Chubby Hubby? These both sound real. That's a good. That's a good call. Fatty Carbuncle, Chubby Hubby. Wade, that's another point to you. Dang it! Uh, chubby Hubby is a real flavor. Wow. Next question: We've got Urban Jumble or Sweet Streets. Urban Jumble. Yeah, I'm gonna go with that one. All right, you both get a point there. Urban Jumble lasted from 2000 to 2001. And it was a bizarre amalgamation of coconut almond fudge chip and New York super fudge chunk. Wow. What could wow. be better? What could be better? All right, next uh, next flavor on the list here. Pears before swine or au pear? Au pear. What? <laughs> does, pears, does this have pork in it? <laughs> you declare that? Uh, yes, it is a pear and maple bacon flavored ice cream. No, just kidding. It does not have pork in it. I guess I'll go with O-Pear as well. All right, you're both getting a point there. Question number eight. We have Dastardly Mash and Mashta Bader. Oh, my God. <laughs> Dastardly Mash. <laughs> I'll agree. Yeah. That is correct. <laughs> I can't imagine oh, why. <laughs> Number nine. Ms. Cassie's sweet potato casserole or Miss Helena's sweet potato pie? Um, Helena, sweet potato pie. Um, I'll go with casserole. All right, Thor, that's a point to you for number 10. Okay. Sweaty balls or dipping nuts? Wait, I feel like, I feel like sweaty balls is... Correct. I feel like I've seen that before. Yeah, I feel like is I've definitely heard that in some context before. I don't know. Or like maybe on SNL or something? I'm going know. with that one. I also feel like I've seen it at the store. I'm going to go with whatever the other one is. I don't remember. Shweddy Balls is correct. Yes! Thor, you have officially probably won the quiz. I don't know. I wasn't I don't keeping know. track. <laughs> I think it was seven to seven. I'm not going to lie. Okay. Well, then it's a, a, a good round tie. Handshakes and backpats for everyone. <laughs> I need to go get some of that good Ben and Jerry's ice cream. That's right, ladies. <laughs> Cinema Bombs. <laughs> sponsored by Ben and Jerry's. When you're in the mood for some really expensive, but really interesting ice cream. It's always... They're the dollar store for $8 a pint. Mmm, yes. Ben and Jerry's. <laughs> what could be better than Ben and Jerry's? Ice cream called Sweaty Balls. Please go to benandjerrys.com <laughs> slash cinemabums a pod at gmail.com slash scream2022 to receive five cents off your next pint of Ben and Jerry's. <laughs> Other than your Ben and Jerry's plug, or is there anything that you would like to tell our listeners about? Where can the people find you? They can find me on Instagram at Jonathan Thor Reigns. I plan on seeing the movie eight times 
because they talk about stab eight in the movie, and I'm already, I've already envisioned the Instagram caption. So here we are. We're halfway there. Four times. Wow. The true, snow is true dedication. Incredible. Incredible. Hey, shout out. Hey, we can also get sponsored by um, Regal Crown Club. Thank you for allowing me to have a membership monthly so mm-hmm. I don't have to pay money every time to see a film. I only have to pay 19 bucks a month. It's mm-hmm. worth it. Thank you, that Regal. Is, that does yes. sound worth it. Thank you, Regal. Please go to regal.com slash cinemabums <laughs> slash Jonathan Thor Reigns to receive a uh, free trial. Chronicle. To an upgrade for a small popcorn. <laughs> yeah. Well, wonderful. <laughs> uh, in 27 weeks, join us as we talk about Jordan Peele's Nope. Uh, till mm. then, you'll just have to be content with that other thing we're doing uh, next week when we talk about... <laughs> Uh, boy, Taika Waititi's second film. Lovely having you here with us today, Thor. Um, yes. Thank you. Y'all yes. have brought light to this rainy afternoon. Truly a wonderful time. Anytime we get to get together and talk about the, the Stab Scream films, I think we should write, uh, like, not a sequel, but like a spoof, but like a serious spoof. You mean like Scream? Yeah. (laughs) Well, have a lovely rest of your day, gents and uh, listeners. Thank you as ever for listening to us. Happy New Year and uh, stay frosted out there. Cinema Bums is a production of DKG Podcasts. It is created and produced by Wade Lawrence Holloman and me, Emmett Temple. Wade also edits and mixes the podcast. Our theme music is by Zane Holloman, who you can find on Bandcamp, and our show art is by Autumn Beckner. Our social media is managed by Laura Bennett. If you like what you hear, please tell all your friends and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, the two best ways to spread the word about our work. You can also follow us on Instagram, at cinemabums, or email us at cinemabumspod at gmail.com. Don't flake on us. We'll be back next week. <laughs>